All right. Um, if there was ever a speaker that never need that did not need an introduction, today in 2023, Tafshin Pei probably would be Rabbi Yisachar Frame. Lamaisa Brokhar Davur. That's uh, number one. That a son follows and is the extension of the father. But the truth is, I was I thought I was going to say that as even though we have Rabbi Tejustin who uh, was in yeshiva, or was a Talmud in the yeshiva that my friend was there, as was our Mordechai Berger over here. I thought I could say, I know Rabbi Friend the longest, Mayor. Yeah. But Rabbi Nachman Klein's son, Rabbi Mayor Simcha over here, um, is going to have to take that. That being said, it's Taka Eschos to have Yaakov Friend, who is not only a Magachir in yeshiva's Chavetz Chaim, but is in the Kinyin HaMasech, the world, the Demus, of a Magachir that is, I think you were not only maybe, you were the Asar Rishayim, right? One of the first 11. 10, the 11th, oh, okay. The 11th Kinyan Asakta, which is today out of 150 or 200 or so. Um, so he's someone who we look up to in many different areas, and it's a plus that he joined us late at night to share some Dibray Tayran Chizik. Thank you very much, Samalaychem. I'm happy to virtually be back in St. Louis. I haven't been in St. Louis in many years. And I'm sure all of you join me in thanking Rabbi Berkowitz. We all benefit from being in Rabbi Berkowitz's orbit. His, his zeal, his effervescence, his gishmak, his smile is just captivating. And, and anything he becomes part of becomes exciting and lively. And, you know, I'm benefiting from Rabbi Berkowitz in my Kenya Masechta here, you're benefiting from Rabbi Berkowitz in St. Louis, and I'm sure you join me in wishing him many years of Harbatzas HaTayra with the same gishmak and the same energy he brings to everything he does. This week, we lay in Pashas Vayakal Pekudei, and Vayakal, the Tyra gives us a, an account of the implementation of the Binyan HaMishkan. After the preparation, after amassing the materials, everything now comes to fruition. The Torah describes the implementation of the Binyan HaMishkan and all that it brought to Klal Yisrael. The Torah tells us, Vayoymer Moishel B'nai Yisrael. Ru, Moishel tells the Yidin, Ru, it's an interesting pasuk here that Betzalel, who was the architect and ran point on the entire amazing construction of the Mishkan, the Torah chooses to be miyachasim three generations back, which is very rare. In fact, the same B'tzalel in last week's parsha only got a B'tzalel Benuri, like we all get when we get called to the Torah. It's B'tzalel Benuri. This week, it's B'tzalel Benuri Benchur. Three generations. It's interesting. It's an anomaly. If you look in Rashi, Rashi says, Chur, Miriam. It was Miriam's son, Chor. And that's the end of Rashi. 
So this becomes even more puzzling. So the Torah gives us three generations, rare. Rashi feels a need to go back another generation, not to his father, to his mother. So now between the Torah and Rashi, we have four generations, Betzalel, Ben-Uri, Ben-Chor, son of Miriam. What, what's Rashi doing? Rashi doesn't say therefore and Rashi doesn't go further with it, just drops that yidiyah on us. Little factoid, Miriam was Hor's mother, okay? Why do I need to know that? Why is that here? And why is the Torah Bitsalo so many generations back? So if you look at Hor's life, the Torah talks about Hor twice. Talked about him when he held up Moshe Rabbeinu's hands when they fought against Amalek. And there's one other incident that Hor was prominent in. When Klal Yisrael clamored for an ego, when Klal Yisrael was confused, discombobulated by Moshe Rabbeinu's delay, Klal Yisrael was clamoring for a replacement. We need something. We need, we need something. We need an intermediary. We need something. Hor heroically tried to quell this groundswell and said, no, 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 no. We, we do not need an Egel. We do not need an intermediary. And Hor was promptly killed. So if you think about it for a second, was Hor successful? Was Hor smart? Did Hor do the prudent thing? I mean, at the end of the day, we had the ego, and Hor lost his life. So was Hor heroic? Did Hor do something that actually was effective? One can think that Hor basically tried running up a hill and didn't make it, Hor was unsuccessful. Hor did not get his message across. And it was futile. It was an effort in futility. Is that how we're to look at Hor? Well, we know that the Mishkan is a kapara for the ego. That when Klal Yisrael decided to worship the eagle, Elele Hecha Yisrael, when Klai Yisrael decided to invest and put stock in the eagle, it drove a wedge between them and the Rebbeinu Shalom, a serious, serious wedge. But through Moshe's perseverance, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, okay, I am going to re-enter. I am going to come back to you. And our meeting place, where the The symbol of forgiveness for the Mishkan, for the Egel, is the Mishkan. The Mishkan now represents that the Egel has been forgiven. We can move on. The Mishkan, built by Chor's Enikel, was Chor's voice finally being heard. Chor tried to stop the Egel. Instead of Chor stopping the Egel, Chor's grandson, built the Mishkan, which was the eventual fix 
which was the eventual solution when we came full circle from the ego. So Hur's voice may have gone unheeded in the short term, but it definitely played in the long term. Where did Hur get this kind of inspiration? Where did Hur get this kind of attitude that even when something looks daunting, if not futile, if not a waste of time, if that's harmful, yet if it's the right thing, you do it because it's the right thing. We don't take focus groups. We don't put our finger to the wind and say, is this going to be popular? We do the right thing because it's the right thing. Where did Hur pick that up from? Well, Miriam is mentioned several times in the Torah, and you've guessed it. Every single time, it is one of these seemingly futile efforts, but Miriam did it anyway. The first time we meet Miriam is when the Shibud in Mitzrayim had gotten so thick and depressing that Parai decreed that every child born, every male born, must be thrown into the river. Amram, the Gadol Hadar declared, you know what? I'm divorcing my wife. Why should I build futilely? Why should I build for naught? Why should I have a family? Amram, the Gadol Hadar, got up and divorced his wife. His daughter Miriam said, Father, you're being much harsher than Parai. Parai only wanted to kill the Schar. You're even killing off the Nekevis. And, and Amram conceded to his daughter. Now, if you think about it for a second, Amram is Gadol Adar. No one was doubting Amram. In fact, the whole Tzibur all followed suit and also divorced their wives. Along comes a girl, a young girl, in fact, his daughter, and says, but father, isn't there another angle here? That is seemingly a futile task. That's daunting. You're going up against Dastaira. You're going up against the G'dayle Hadar, the Hachra, the decision of the G'dayle Hadar. Yet Miriam went undaunted and corrected her father. The next time we find Miriam in the Torah, Parai had sentenced all the Yiddish boys being born to be thrown into the river. Baby Moshe was born, and as long as they could hide him, they did. But when it became impossible, even Moshe Rabbeinu had to be thrown into the river. So they threw Moshe Rabbeinu into the river. Unfortunately, Tragically, thousands of Yiddish boys died this way. And that was the end. But Miriam went to the river to watch. Why? What are you doing? I mean, it's painful. Why do you have to watch? It's seemingly a waste of time. It's futile. It's an effort in futility. Miriam didn't believe that. Miriam said, I need to see. Miriam said, I need to do what I can do for as long as I can do it. And Miriam went down to the river. Miriam again 
We find Miriam another time. A few weeks ago, we land Parshas B'Shalach. We got out of Mitzrayim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu split the Yamsu for us. The greatest Nesnigla in history. The Klal Yisrael came out of the Yam and had a need to thank the Rebbeinu Shalom. Oz Yashir Yisrael as Ashir Azais. Klal Yisrael felt an instinctive need to praise the Rebbeinu Shalom. And all of the men found expression in singing the Shira. Miriam, representing the women, wanted to express their thanks as well. But it was inappropriate. Most people would have gone home. Miriam, once again, found a way. Batikach Taif, she took an instrument and this way was able to express Shira. Time and time again, Miriam found a way when things look bleak, if not impossible, you don't give up. You do what you can, and it will have an effect. This Miriam, inculcated, was Machanach her son, Chor, with such a view of life. And that's why B'tzalo, Ben Uri Ben Chor, was the one that built the Mishkan. You see, the Mishkan, in and of itself, is a seeming impossibility. We, we're humans, we're limited. We have all the constraints that physicality places upon us. We are physical beings. We're And yet, the Rebbeinu Shalom, who's an Ein Saif, has a place where we're going to meet. That seems to be an impossibility. We humans, mere mortals, boss of Adam, can go and have a window into Ein Saif. We can have a window into the Rebbeinu Shalom. We can have access and contact with the Rebbeinu Shalom. It is a seeming impossibility. No, says the Torah. B'tzalo, ben Uri, ben Chor. And where did Chor get this from? Says Rashi, ben Shal Miriam teaches us no. That a binyan of Mishkan, which B'tzalo was B'tzarif Isis, and B'tzalo built this Mishkan, this amazing portal, in which we can walk through the portal and be connected to Ein Saif, to eternity, that's an impossibility that only someone that's B'tzalo, Ben-Uri, Ben-Chur, Ben-Nashel Miriam can accomplish. And that's the lesson of the Binyan HaMishkan, that when things look impossible, it's not our job to assess success or to assess probability of success. It's our job to do our job. And when we do our job consistently and we do what we're asked to do, it will always work out in the end. The Briskarov used to say a story that there was a girl in Brisk, unfortunately, in the beginning of the 20th century, Brisk was not an entirely religious city. There was a girl who went to the Besiakov in Brisk purely out of convenience. It was close to her parents' home. It took care of her. There's no anti-Semitism. And she went to the Beis Yaakov, but this was not her parents' house, and her parents were not happy with this. In fact, her parents did everything they could do despite her chinuch and the Beis Yaakov, including being Michal Shabbos in front of her, just to dishearten her and make sure she didn't really pick up anything 
in the Beis Yaakov she attended out of convenience. One week, the parents decided they needed to go away, and they told her in no uncertain terms, young lady, you are managing the store on Shabbos. And she was devastated. She was devastated. Chil Shabbos, she knew what it's all about, and her parents also knew what it was all about. But no was not an option, and they said, you are minding the store when we go away, period. So, with Les Brera, she had no choice. She went in the store on Shabbos. And as customers came in, she gave them the worst customer service. She didn't talk to anybody. She ignored them. Where can I find this item? Give a shrug. It's sort of like the people I see in Walmart, but that's a different story. She gave yeah. them a shrug. She didn't look at them. When she asked, when they were, she was asked a question, oh, and slowly but surely, the customers became disgusted and walked out. There was this guy that really was interested in an item, and the item cost a half a zlata. He asked her, how much is this? She said, a hundred zlata. He said, are you crazy? That's 200 times how much it should be. She shrugged her shoulders. He screamed at her for a few minutes and left the store in disgust. A while later, he came back to the store and said, okay, did you come to your senses? How much is that item? She said, I said, a hundred zlata. He said, listen, you're nuts. This thing is worth a half a zlata. I need it. I will give you five zlata for the item, which is 10 times. You got to be happy with 10 times the price. She said, a hundred dollars, hundred zlata. They haggled, he left again. They haggled, he left again. Finally, after several rounds of this, he comes back in the store, <laughs> exasperated, and says, fine, a hundred zlata. She looks up, it's by now pitch black outside. Shabbos is well over. She takes the hundred zlata, he takes his item, she leaves the store and closes the store. When her parents returned, she gives them the proceeds of the store on Shabbos, which was an amazing haul for one day. They were thrilled. And they said, that's amazing. How did you do that? And she told them the story. And as I'm sure you can guess the end, they were taken and eventually became Shemr Shabbos themselves. The point being, it's not going to happen to all of us at every time, but when you stick to your guns, when you go undaunted, even though the task remained impossible, how am I going to get through a day in a store without being Michal Shabbos? But that's what I need to do. She was undaunted. She didn't say, I can't. She didn't say it's impossible. She didn't say it's futile. She didn't say it's worthless. She said, I need to do what I need to do, and I'm going to do what I need to do. And it worked out for her in then, which is what Bitsalo. Ben Uri, Ben Chur, Ben Nashal Miriam teaches us in this week's parsha. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Well, uh, you know, Rabbi Friend, before you go, usually we have an